A message this morning is uh, titled, uh, Too Busy Not to Pray. It's kind of the closing act in a trilogy that I started some time ago. Uh, those of you who've been with Waysburg Christian Church for some time know that a uh, fairly long time ago I preached a message on busyness in this world. And then more recently I preached a message on prayer. Now I'm tying it all together and saying, hey, we're too busy not to pray. And if you respond favorably to this, I might have a sequel that's something along the lines of quiet, I'm busy praying. Okay? Just teasing, I won't bring that on you. Okay, how did you start your day today? Did you wake up this morning and rush right into the activities of the day uh, to get started, uh, to begin moving through this day, and then suddenly discovered that problems were developing and each task that you had to do seemed to be more burdensome than before. And you asked yourself in wonderment, why doesn't God help me? And almost immediately you should have gotten the answer. He would have said, because you didn't ask. Or did you wake up this morning and pause at the start of the day thinking about all the things that needed to be accomplished and immediately went to the Lord in prayer and asked for his help right at the start of the day. How did you start your day? Prayer isn't just a means of getting things done, you understand. It truly is an expression of our relationship with God. A relationship that he has initiated through Jesus and establishes with each of us by his Holy Spirit. God has always desired intimacy with us. And isn't that an amazing thought? The creator of everything desiring an intimate relationship with us. Think about that. You can sense God's yearning as you read through the word. He wants us to seek him more than anything else. As our good shepherd, Jesus knows who his sheep are. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God told his people, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, when you seek me with all your heart. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that uh, the message that you and I are about to deliver will fall on ears that hear, eyes that will be opened, hearts that will be touched, that all of us might think about the relationship we have with you. I pray, Father, that at least one among us will come to you with a renewed vigor in their prayer life. I feel our mission will have been accomplished if just one returns to you. Father, you've laid a heavy message on my heart this morning. I pray it will be received truly by ears that hear. I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. So how's your seeking and listening to the Lord? You know, busy is one nasty demon of our culture, isn't it? How have you been? Busy. How was your weekend? Busy. Can you, can you spend some time in a ministry to help us? No, I'm too busy. If the yoke of Jesus is rest, then why are we always so busy? Matthew eleven twenty eight, which isn't on the screen, says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
Beloved, we are too busy for our own spiritual health. We race our motors all day long trying to get all our important stuff done. Ministers and church workers are no exception. That's why so many of us burn out. Does the following statement ring true in your life? I was so busy doing the Lord's work that I was destroying the Lord's work in me. God might speak to our spirits with these words. I want to enjoy, I want you to enjoy me more than merely doing stuff for me. I want you to enjoy me more than merely doing stuff for me. It's kind of an ouch statement, isn't it? If there is never a quiet moment because we fill every moment of every day with frantic activity or mindless distraction, then where does the still, small voice of God fit into our hectic lives? I brought some props with me this morning. Talking about mindless distraction. You recognize this? It's a cell phone. Once upon a time, it was just a phone. You know, you could use it to call people and they would call you. Now we find that they're like little mini computers in our pockets and we can Twitter and text and YouTube and on and on and it all becomes kind of a mindless distraction, doesn't it? It's an addiction, folks. And if we spend a tenth of the time we spend on these things, bowing before the Lord and asking Him to return to the center of our lives, I think we'd be much better off. I confess, this is mine. <laughs> when do we allow him to lead, guide, correct, and affirm us? And if this rarely or never happens, how can we reflect Jesus in our everyday relationships? We all have lists of things we would like to do in the next year or the next week or even the next day. And certainly there is nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. We should make lists. But I ask you, is developing a deeper prayer life on any of those lists? Now we all take a certain amount of time out for God, I'm sure. For some it might be an enriching hour every day. But admit it, for most of us, the busyness of daily demands begins to crowd out time with God. <coughs> C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, wrote, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving it all back, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view. It's too easy to lose focus that God is here. God is available. Instead of being so caught up in busy activity, we need to find ourselves at the feet of Christ and begin again to call out to Him in prayer. Now, I have some thoughts here on authentic Christianity that you might uh, look at and, and read along with me. Authentic Christianity is not learning a new set of rules or doctrines or simply helping those who are less fortunate, which we should do. Primarily, it is a supernatural walk with a loving God. Authentic Christianity is a living relationship between a God who cares 
and his children who know that they matter to him. Authentic Christians have a passion for Jesus that delights in becoming more like him. Authentic Christians keep being daily renewed by being in the presence of his majesty. Authentic Christians are people who stand apart from others as though listening to a different drummer. Their character seems deeper, their ideas fresher, their spirit softer, their courage greater, their leadership stronger, their concerns wider, their compassion more genuine, their convictions more concrete. They are joyful in spite of difficult circumstances and show wisdom beyond their years. It's embarrassing how few Christians desire this level of authenticity. Most are too busy caught up in society's rat race. Likewise, many churchgoers are more interested in worldly things than an intimate and personal relationship with God. And I hate to say it, but I'll repeat it. Likewise, many churchgoers are more interested in worldly things than in an intimate and personal relationship with God. The worries and concerns of this life are what the Bible calls worldliness. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus describes it in his parable of the seeds scattered on four different soils. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. If unchecked, our lives can be filled with activity, yet unfruitful as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. If this has happened to you, if your relationship with God is like a tired and distant friendship, and you want more, then you need to say, right, that's it. I don't want my Christianity to be on autopilot. I'm not going to play halfway games with God anymore. I'm not going to go through meaningless prayers or empty rituals or leaf through a Bible that doesn't penetrate my life. I'm not going to simply be spoon-fed anymore. I'm not going to leave God on the margins of my life, but let him come into the center. I'm going to do whatever it takes to cultivate a deeper relationship with God, so help me God. What can we learn from Jesus? Isn't it wonderful that God sent his son not only to die on the cross for us, but to teach us? What can we learn from Jesus? First of all, slowing down to pray. John writes in John 21 that Jesus did so much that if it were all written down, it would have filled more than all the books in the world at that time. Yet we don't read anywhere in the Bible, Jesus was in a rush. Jesus knew what it was like to be busy. At times, he and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. No matter which way he turned, there were people with needs and work to be done. In Luke 5, news about him spread so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Can you take time out from your busyness? to withdraw to some lonely place and pray just like Jesus did. Jesus was too busy not to pray. Jesus was too busy not to listen. For Jesus, connecting with the Father was vital in knowing what to do and how to do it. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus put it like this. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. If Jesus needed retreat and solitude in order to carry out the Father's will for his life, how can we live without it? Strength comes from spending time with God. Times of refreshing and renewal come out of solitude and listening to God. Look, beloved, God is calling us to an abundant life, but a major part of that life is a life of prayer. Are we desiring to become more like Christ, who prays desperately in the garden for the Father's will to be done in his own life? Or are we more like Jesus' disciples, asleep in the garden? If you make a commitment to renew and refresh your prayer life, I can assure you that no sooner do you begin doing that than Satan will attack you. And here are two of Satan's many lies about prayer. Lie number one, when prayer doesn't produce immediate results, and it frequently doesn't, do more for God. We're an impatient people, aren't we? We want it now. Okay. So instead of waiting for God to do, we turn to busyness. Practically, this line is played out in the belief that a busy Christian is a spiritual Christian. I can assure you that a busy Christian is not a spiritual Christian. It's easy to get caught up in being busy for God. God wants the fullness of life for us, but what does that mean? Does it mean, God, I did this for you today. I went to work and did a good job. I helped out with junior high today. I managed to fix a bike today, too. God, I'm doing a lot for you now. I'm busy teaching Sunday school, and on weekdays I coach baseball. And I see that we have a need for this. And what about meeting my friends, God? I need to be there for them. And I feel like I should get in shape. Yes, I do. So I will. And what about the children? God, I'm really tired, but I was super busy. I'll spend time with you tomorrow. While we're trying to fill our lives with activities, we miss the point. The point is, God wants us to pray to Him and meet with Him. He desires that relationship, folks. It is then that our days get the most full. God is not going to ask you on Judgment Day, well, how busy were you? How busy were you? James chapter 4, verse 2 says this, You want something, but don't get it. You do not have because you do not ask God. It is not until we approach the throne of grace on our knees that we will begin to see the Holy Spirit work in our lives and in the world around us. Lie number two, prayer is unreliable. Jesus launched the Christian church not while someone was preaching or by any human plan, but while people were praying. Just to repeat Jeremiah chapter 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In Acts chapter 4, when the apostles were unjustly arrested, they didn't reach for some political leverage. They prayed. We need to have that same instinct. When in trouble, pray. When driving, pray. Please keep your eyes open. When challenged, pray. When waking up, pray. When God's people are called back to prayer, then the Spirit is poured out and amazing things happen in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we read, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Have we allowed ourselves to become cluttered with the busyness of life, even the busyness of Christian life, that we have squeezed out the one aspect that God desires most? Think about what Jesus did to the clutter in the temple, one of the few times in the Bible where we clearly see Jesus being angry. As he threw out the money changers, he shouted, My house will be called a house of prayer. That's what he desires for his temple, for it to be a house of prayer. It doesn't say that we are called to be a house of good works. It doesn't say we are to be a people of many programs, of efficient lives, of excellent parenting, or even of fantastic cooking. All of these are great things that we should do, but at the root of everything, we are to be a people of prayer. <coughs> As you think about that, there are three things I'd like to uh, list for you that you might find to be helpful. The first of these is to be still and know that I am God. Being, not doing, is at the heart of prayer. But we're so used to doing that being still requires effort. We need to learn how to do it. So I'd like us to do something now. I'd, I'd like uh, to quiet our spirits by focusing away from ourselves and onto God. Would you just close your eyes and relax for a moment and listen to the next couple of phrases? <clears throat> Call on God's name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Or pray the Jesus prayer as we breathe in and out. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or we can invite the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, open my heart to the Word of God. Open my heart to the Word of God. Once we are still, we are in a position to receive from God. We are ready to let Him speak to us through His Word, by His Spirit. You can open your eyes again. I'd like you to be with me for the rest of the sermon, if you don't mind. Number two, reflect on yesterday. Often we just drift from one day to the next, one season to the next, one year to the next, without looking back to see how we've been doing. If we live unexamined lives, we go on repeating the same mistakes day after day. We don't learn from our decisions or experiences, either good or bad. We lose sight of where we've come from and where we are going. 
Isn't it tragic when the pace of our life outstrips our ability to analyze it? It's good for us to find time for reflection in the light of God's love. How did it go yesterday, during this past week, the last year? Reflect on your experiences, observations, people you met, things you did. What were your joys and sorrows? What have you learned about yourself or others? What areas do you need to grow in? What mistakes should you avoid? How can God help you in this? How would Jesus have done it differently? Of course, structuring ourselves to have this time is challenging. It's countercultural and counterintuitive. The modern world has deceived us into thinking that the only way not to waste time is to fill it with busyness and activities. Look at any Saturday morning, or for any weekday for that matter, to see parents driving kids to activities and programs. Even having to schedule family time or couple time or alone time into their hectic lives. That's crazy. While none of these are necessarily bad things, they are efforts to fix a problem which we ourselves have created by cramming too much into our lives. Now, if I were a physician, I would prescribe for each of us some guilt-free chair time where we can just sit down on a comfy chair and relax and meditate on the Word and think about God and pray to Him. Guilt-free chair time. You've been looking at a picture, I hope, or you are now, of um, Powell's Valley, Pennsylvania. My wife April and I love to go to a bed and breakfast in Powell's Valley and looking out the farmhouse where the bed and breakfast is locating, located, that's the view out the farmhouse window. Look across Powell's Valley, you see a little white church in the distance, and we are at peace in that environment. Our meals are prepared for us, there's nothing for us to do, we're at the foot of a mountain where even cell towers don't penetrate, we have no single signal, there's no cell phone coverage, we just get away from it all and relax in God's arms in his creation. We are among farmers out there working the fields uh, that just brings fond memories to me and to April. And we have time in the week or so that we spend there every once in a while just to get reacquainted with one another, to think about life, to do planning, whatever, and to relax. No busyness, no schedule, get up whenever, do whatever, it's wonderful. I hope that each of you, my prayer for each of you, is that you can find your own Powell's Valley in your life somewhere. Item number three, listen to God. When we are still, we can be listening for God to speak with us. Stillness allows God to share whatever is on his heart for you. Lord, if there's anything you want me to know right now, please show me. Or like the boy Samuel in the Old Testament said, Speak, for your servant is listening. You might ask, how does God speak to us? Well, primarily, through my other little prop here, through the Bible, His Word. 
This is my travel Bible. I have a bigger one. If you have a bigger one, you know, you can get your physical exercise at the same time you're reading it. And it's nice to have a little travel Bible also. This is a complete Bible, not just the New Testament, and I love it. It's nice for traveling. A little hard on the eyes, but it works well. Okay? The Word is primary and, cent primary and central to hearing God speak, especially the words of Jesus. <clears throat> If your thoughts or impressions don't mesh or match up with what Jesus has said, then dismiss them. The Holy Spirit also gives us nudges or impressions. And I'm sure many of you have felt some of what I'm about to give to you. You might have a feeling to phone someone to see how they are or to encourage them. Or you may be prompted to write a note or letter to someone. At other times, God may lead you to deal with an area of your life that you've closed off from him. God may prompt you to talk with someone across the room, or to apologize to someone you've hurt, or to visit someone. Sometimes God opens the eyes of your heart to something you didn't know or somehow missed before. Sometimes it's God's answer to something you've prayed about for a long time. And then there are times of silence when you simply enjoy being in the presence of God, soaking up his love, his grace, his kindness, savoring his company and concern as your Abba Father. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about prayer and Martin Luther at the same time. And one of my fellow elders alerted me uh, in the first service we actually had folks with a Lutheran background, so they appreciated what I'm to say next, understand we have some Methodist visiting among us, and I really should come up with something about John Wesley, but I'm not prepared to do that right now. So we're sticking with Martin Luther here. Martin Luther was a person too busy not to pray. His life's writings fill up nearly 60 large volumes. In days before typewriters and word processors or even ballpoint pens, 60 large volumes, as well as translating the whole Bible into German using an ink pot and a quill pen. Added to this were his university lecturing, preaching and pastoring the Wittenberg congregation and his family responsibilities. He developed his devotional habit as a former monk. Luther's normal, Luther's normal pattern in the parish was to spend two hours a day in reading the word, praying and meditating at the start of the day. If he had an extra busy day ahead, he would take three hours. Otherwise, he said, I cannot get all my work done. Was this a waste of time? His life work testifies strongly, no. I can give you my own testament, no. I've had many times in my life when I was especially busy in at the college and if it weren't for prayer and seeking his guidance, I wouldn't have been nearly as efficient as I was. And I look back onto many of those moments and recognize that God was leading and I was just following. So for us, I invite you to slow down, to spend some daily time with God. Not necessarily two hours. I'm not asking you to become a monk, go in a cloister somewhere. But spend some time with him. If this is a new idea to you, spend a few minutes each day. A few minutes just being still in God's presence. Block out the noise of the world. A few minutes reading the Bible. 
and meditating on that word. A few minutes in prayer and listening to God. If, after six months, your relationship with Jesus isn't deeper and you haven't grown in character and your heart isn't softer than before, then you can have your tired, drained, busy, frantic lifestyle back again. No one can grow in intimacy with God on a steady diet of activity. You will only get tired. Power comes out of stillness. Strength comes out of solitude. I'll end with this story. There were two streams standing at the foot of a mountain. On top of the mountain was a great lake and in front of it a great desert. Both streams wanted to water the desert. And one day they began to deliberate about how to go about it. I think that to be successful, we must find a way to climb the mountain and get attached to the lake, said one stream. What a waste of time, the other stream retorted. You'll never make it. And besides, look at all this parched land just crying out for water. I'm going on. So the second stream flowed out into the desert. As the sun got hotter and hotter and the land got drier and drier, the stream got smaller and smaller. And eventually it faded because it had no resources. In the meantime, the first stream was struggling up the mountain. It was a long, arduous climb. But finally the stream joined the lake and asked, Will you help me go out and water the desert? I will, said the lake. So together, the lake and the stream flowed down the mountain and into the desert, making the dry land rich and fertile. Folks, with prayer as our resource, our lives and ministry to others are constantly watered. Without it, we're all dried up. Wherever you may be this week, from prayerful to prayerless, perhaps you're thirsty for more of God. Perhaps you're desiring a fresh touch from him. God is here in this place right now. All he asks from us is this. Be still and know that I am God. Are you tired today? We can pray for you. Are you feeling like God is distant in your life? We can pray for you. Are you feeling empty, emotionally bankrupt? We can pray for you. Are you dressed up for church but all you want to do is cry? We can pray for you. God calls us to be a people of prayer. I'd love to pray for you. There are people here who would love to pray for you. We all have deep needs in our life and the truth is that God is here and we can reach out to him in prayer. This prayer stuff is important to God. The fullest life we could have is when we are in a lifestyle of prayer. The power of God will penetrate more and more into your life when prayer becomes your lifestyle. God wants to meet with you today. Are you too busy to meet with him?